Well, hey everyone, thanks for checking out this message from Journey Church. These resources are so awesome to have when you're out in nature like we are and you gotta go be outside on these nice days. However, we want you to know that there is nothing better than true fellowship with believers and live worship with your fellow Christians. So be sure to use this message only in conjunction with getting fed in a community of believers. Hey, we also want you to get connected with us, so be sure to text the word CONNECT to 307-271-9160 so that you can stay in the loop with everything happening at Journey Church and get notifications about upcoming events. Hey, we pray that this message encourages you and inspires you as you continue this life on your walk with Jesus. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Journey Church. If you have a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 20 uh, for our study this morning. We are going to be continuing on with our series of messages called 10 Great Words for Life. It was about uh, three weeks ago that we are last in this. Uh, we did not speak about this on Mother's Day. Uh, it just wasn't quite the right timing to talk about the sixth or the uh, fifth commandment as we talked on Mother's Day. And then um, last week, Pastor Chris shared on uh, graduation Sunday and really gave a, a message for graduates. But today we're going to get back to this 10 Great Words for Life series. Um, Jesus was asked the question in Matthew chapter 22, what is the greatest commandment? And he answered them and said, the greatest is this, that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, that you would love your neighbor as yourself. What he was doing is really what is natural in the commandments, and that is dividing the commandments into two different groupings. Uh, he divided it into group number one, which is loving God, and then group number two, which is about loving others, honoring them and treating them with value, respect, um, as, uh, as really image bearers of God. And so that's what we're going to continue on with today. Uh, we're going to get into Exodus 20. We're going to recap what we've come through and then get into the fifth commandment here today. So let's do that. Let's get in and start with Exodus 20 uh, in verse 1. It says this. Then God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord, and that is Adonai in the Hebrew. I am the Lord Adonai your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other God before me. Now this sets the stage and is the context of why the whole Ten Commandments were given. You shall have no other gods because I'm the one that set you free. God redeemed you. God brought you out of slavery. He brought you out of bondage. He set you free from the sin that you were in. Therefore, have no other gods. Worship God alone. Make him the center of your life. It was really called, that message was called undivided allegiance. And it was about who I worship. Uh, who is the God either capital G or lowercase g of your life. You will worship something. Everybody worships, everybody uh, pledges allegiance to something. Who do you pledge allegiance to? And that is worshiping God. God says, you have no other gods. I am to be the center of your life. The second commandment, verse four, says this. Do not make for yourself a graven image or any likeness or of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth below or in the water under the earth. Do not bow down to them. Do not let anyone make you serve them. For I, Adonai, your God, am a jealous God, bringing the iniquity of the fathers 
upon the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my command, in Hebrew, my mitzvot. That was called, that title of that message was Undiminished Worship, and that was, Whom Will I Serve? Who will sit on the throne of my life and my heart? So I worship God, and now I'm going to surrender all that I am to his authority. He becomes the authority in my life, and I will have an undiminished worship of him. Number three, verse seven. You must not take the name of Adonai your God in vain, for Adonai will not hold him guiltless that takes his name. That was the title of that message was Untarnished Name, and that was really about how I speak about and represent the God who is the God of my life. I'm a representative of his. How do I represent him? How do I speak for him in how I live out my life? I'm going to worship him. He's going to sit on the throne of my heart. Now, how do I represent him? And frankly, I would say that this is one that most people struggle with. Um, It's the one that I would say that would be the greatest struggle for me is that am I really being a good representative for him? Now, that doesn't mean I'm going out sitting uh, at the bars or I'm not going out partying, things like that. But how am I representing him? Is there more that I could do to be a representative of God in the way that I love, care, honor, forgive, all of the aspects of life? That's about the untarnished name. How do we represent him? Number four was this in verse eight. Remember Yom Shabbat. Now in Hebrew, Yom Shabbat means day of Sabbath. Yom Shabbat is the Hebrew words, but day of Sabbath. Remember the day of Sabbath. Keep it holy. You were to work six days, do all your work, but the seventh day is a Shabbat to Adonai your God. In it you shall not do any work, not you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, your cattle, nor the outsider that is within your gates. For in six days Adonai made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh. Now he didn't have to rest, God didn't require rest, but he was presenting the model of what he expected of us. Thus Adonai blessed Yom Shabbat, the day of Sabbath, and made it holy. Now this message was called Unhindered Rest, and that was about learning to be still and know God, learning how to sit and rest in him, learning how to understand that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. No more striving, no more performing. I rest in him and his grace and his work in how I live my life. So that point on, we have, we've learned, who do I worship? God. Who sits on the throne of my heart? God is supposed to. How do I represent him? I'm supposed to represent him well as my king. How do I rest in him? Well, I sit and I rest in who God is. I rest in the finished work of Jesus. That was kind of the line that now we're shifting into what does it mean to love others? Now, the last six commandments of this series of commandments are about how we respond to other people. Other people, as frustrating as they can be, as frustrating as we can be at times, other people are the image bearers of God. You are created in the image of God. Therefore, you have intrinsic value. You matter. You are important because you carry the image of God. How do you treat people who carry the image of God? You may not like everybody. 
You may, in fact, hold grudges against people, but how do you treat people? That's what God is concerned with. And that's what this honoring others is all about. So the first one that we went into in the second half, commandment number five, honor your father and mother so that your days may be long upon the land which Adonai is giving you. That was about honoring elders, honoring parents, honoring elders with value, honor, and respect. It's about treating people with intrinsic value because they have been made in the image of God. Again, you may not always like people, they may be frustrating, but they are God's creation. They have been made with the image of God, and therefore they have value. Do you treat them and honor them in that type of way? This command today, number six, is a simple command. In fact, when we look at it, it's just three words. It seems like this is a quick three words and done. How can I stretch this into a long sermon? Well, it's, the, it's what you learn in seminary is how to stretch things into a long sermon and give you all kinds of nuggets of truth. Today's commandment is really simple, three words. Do not murder. That's all it is. Now, it is graduation Sunday, and I don't know if any parents are in here of graduates. Did you ever struggle with this command as you were raising your kid and getting them to graduation? Simple command. But there's something profound in the simplicity of this command. The title of today's message is this. It is honor life. Let's pray and get into this. Father, teach us. Help us to understand what it means to truly love others. Help us not just to hear the words, but help us to put into practice your truths. That your commandments are not a checklist of what we need to do and not do. Your commandments are a mirror that is being held up to our faces to help us see what we really look like, what's really within us. I pray, Father, that as we discover what is behind this commandment of do not murder, that we would hear your truth and that we would walk in it. Be our teacher here. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive your truth today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All of the commands that I just even mentioned in my prayer, these were not given by God as a simple do's and don'ts list. It was not given as a checklist that we are supposed to check off the things that we have done or not done. That's not what God designed them for. What these commands are, are not rules and regulations, but the commands are meant to get to the heart of people. There's a truth that we're going to learn, not only today, but really the rest of the commands. And the truth is this, it's all about the heart. Would you say that with me? It's all about the heart. That's what it is. It's all about, thank you for saying that. It's all about the heart. That's what it's about. The commands are not God's checklist. It's about the heart. And he uses the commands to get to the heart of people. We're going to come back to this concept and understand this idea as we look at what Jesus said. But let me, let me get into this a little bit. Do you guys remember the show Super Nanny? How many remember that show, the, the show Super Nanny? And 
this show, I found it intriguing. It came out several years. I don't think it's on now, but it came out several years ago. And the show Super Nanny was really a guilty pleasure that I found that people had in life. They would watch this show. And what you would see is you'd turn on the show, if you've never seen it before, and it was a family that it was incredibly chaotic and dysfunctional. And you would watch this family, and the kids were just out of control, a mess, chaotic kids, undisciplined kids, and in would stride Super Nanny, and she would fix the kids, she would fix the family, and everybody would have a wonderful time in the process. This Super Nanny would stride in and save the day. Here she is to save the family. And what I found was, it was a guilty pleasure that people had. Now, there's a reason why. I remember watching some episodes, not really watching episodes, but I saw some clips about it, where kids, I I remember seeing one clip uh, clip where a, a boy, like seven years old, walked up and just slapped his mom. And nobody did anything about it. And that was what was going on in the family. So another clip where there were three brothers in the back seat, probably you know, the the six to 10-year-old range, and they were just fighting and bickering back and forth, and the parents were in the front seats doing nothing, and one of the kids just, the one that was sitting in the middle just turned and punched as hard as he could the private spot of these other brothers. That's just what, and the parents did absolutely nothing. And the reason I think it was a guilty pleasure for people is because you could watch that show And you could think, well, I'm not the best of parents, but I'm not like that. (laughs) And you would feel like justified that I'm not the greatest, but I'm not that bad. So maybe I'm okay. Maybe I'm better than I thought I would. Take the show Hoarders. The show Hoarders. They have boxes lined up, stacked everywhere so that there's just a path through the house, room to room. And you can watch that show and you could say, well... You know, my house is not clean, but I'm not like that, so maybe I'm not that bad. Guilty pleasures. This this verse that we have, do not murder, is like the guilty pleasure of the commandments. It's like the, the reprieve in the midst of all of that, because most people, I find, look at this verse and they say, you know what, I'm not that great, but at least I haven't done that. And so they can lay their head on their pillows at night and just feel good about the fact that at least I haven't broken that one. At least I'm okay there. I haven't committed murder. Well, the problem with that thinking is what we are going to learn is that it's deeper than just those three words. In fact, Jesus is going to enlighten us on what these three words really entail. Do not murder. Now, some of your versions of the Bible that you're reading will use the word kill. It will not use the word murder. That is an incorrect translation of the word. The word murder is the most appropriate translation. You're going to learn that and because there's a real difference between what it means to kill and what murder is. Now, Again, what I said before, it's all about the heart. Keep this in mind. It's all about the heart. Jeremiah 17 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is wicked. The heart is evil. The heart is deceitful. The heart is deceptive. And that's where the problems lie. The horrific events that happened a week ago in Buffalo, New York, the shooting that took place was horribly sick and twisted and evil. 
it was a disgusting act that it was that that had been done. Now I, I don't care about what your opinion is of guns. Should we have guns? Should we not have guns? What are gun rights? I don't care about that. It doesn't matter. But I just want you to know this. It's not the guns that did that act. It was the heart of mankind that caused that act. Do you understand that? The heart is desperately sick. It is wicked. It is deceitful above all things. So let's try to understand and make sense of this simple little verse. Three words, do not murder. The do not, I think you already got that. You probably know what do not means. Uh, let's talk about the murder. What is murder? Well, murder in the Hebrew language is the Hebrew word uh, rotsak, which means this. It means to dash in pieces, to assassinate or slay with premeditation. Notice that word, premeditation. In Hebrew, the word literally means the intentional, premeditated killing of another with malice. So I want you to notice these words. The premeditated, intentional malice. Notice those words. That is the definition of what murder is. Murder is the premeditated, intentional killing of another with malice. Now, interestingly, most of us are already familiar with this definition because this is the definition across our country that is reflected in the penal codes. The penal codes recognize this, even if they don't believe in God, the codes are founded on God's word, even if there's no belief in who God is. That's where the idea of morality and ethics comes from, okay? That is the idea of the penal code in our society is that definition. In fact, in California, which is crazy in many ways, but California, penal code 187A, here's what it says. This is the definition in California of murder, Murder is the unlawful killing of a human being or a fetus with malice aforethought. That's the definition. Abortion is not a woman's right to choose. Abortion is not the killing of a baby. Abortion is, under the law, murder. And that is God's view of it as well. It is with Malice, a forethought. Now, what does that mean? What does malice mean? Well, here's the definition of what malice is. Malice is a form of evil intent that separates murder from killing. That's the definition. Malice is where murder would come in out of an evil intent, and it's very different from killing. So let me give you the difference. Is there a difference? Yes, there is a difference. Because in God's word and law, there are times that killing is uh, legal and actually justifiable. Now, I'm going to give you these things, these examples. These are not justification to go looking for problems. That's not what it is, okay? This is not that at all. But I want to tell you in the Bible, there are exceptions to this, and this is defined under killing versus murder. What is killing according to the Bible? Well, one of the things that happened in killing was it was accidental, there are times that accidents will happen. That was never d defined as murder. It was an accident. It was a killing that took place, and there was not penalty under God's law for things like that. In fact, God created cities of refuge where people could be protected from vengeance when an accident would happen. It was protected by God. There was a time in the Bible that killing was considered self-defense. 
that in the defense of someone or something or your life, that there was times that it was justifiable. In the Old Testament, there was times that military or the saving of an innocent life was considered killing and not murder. So if somebody is enlisted, in the Old Testament, the Hebrews were put into battle all the time, and they had to go to war, and God expected them to go to war, and that was justifiable in God's sight. And then finally, there was also capital punishment which God had commanded the people of when they actually needed to kill people over what certain crimes. And he expected people to follow through with that. God was far more pro-capital punishment than any other society has ever really been. This is God's plan. This is God's establishment. But again, that's killing. There is a difference between murder and killing. We're not talking about killing. We are talking about murder. And what did I say? It's all about the heart. That's what it's all about. It's not about the actual act, though that is a problem, and that is definitely has to be dealt with, but it doesn't start with the act, it starts with the heart. How do we know this? Well, this is exactly what Jesus says. Again, it's all about the heart. In fact, the rest of the commandments, here's what you're going to see, it's all about the heart. And this is what God is using the commands to get to. He's trying to get to our hearts. Okay, here's what Jesus himself spoke on the sixth commandment. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 17. Jesus says this. He says, this is in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is giving. He says, do not think that I came to abolish the Torah. That's the law. That's everything we're studying. He said, I, I didn't come to put away, do away with that. Or the prophets, that was what the entire Old Testament was built upon law and prophets. There was, some, there was some other things in there, but mostly on the law and the prophets. He said, I didn't come to do away with that. Instead, I came to fulfill it. I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. I am the fulfillment of the law. If you are attending a church or you are listening to somebody who says the Old Testament doesn't matter, it's old, it's past, it's gone, that is false. Everything of the Old Testament builds for the New Testament. You can't understand the new unless you understand the old. Jesus was prophesied about. There was a coming Messiah, a sacrificial system, and Jesus fulfilled it all in the New Testament. He says, I didn't come to do away with it. And then he says this, amen, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, that means all of our existence, until God creates it new, not the smallest letter or seraph, that is the smallest little jot that is made in the Hebrew language is the seraph, none of that shall ever pass away until the law, the Torah, until all things come to pass. So Jesus says, I didn't, I'm not doing away with it, it still exists, I just fulfilled it. Okay. Then he says this, therefore... Whoever breaks one of the least of the commandments and teaches others the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, this one shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the, the Torah scholars, the, law, the ones that are studying the law all the time, you shall never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now he's going to speak specifically about this command. You have heard it said of those of old, you shall not murder. Okay, that's what we just read. Do not murder. And whoever commits murder shall be subject to judgment. Now, he didn't say killing. 
because that may happen accidentally. It may be self-defense. It may be military. It may be saving an innocent life, capital punishment, whatever. Whoever is guilty of murder is subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother shall be subject to judgment. I want you to notice that word, angry. If you are angry, you are guilty of breaking the law of God saying do not murder. Because murder is not about the act, it's about your heart. And the evil intent of the heart, and the malice of the heart, and the wickedness of the heart, and the deceit of the heart, and that's where it all stems from. So Jesus says, it's not about the act, it's about your heart. And if you're angry with your brother, you're subject to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be subject to the council. And whoever says, you fool, shall be subject to fiery Gehenna, which is a picture of hell. We'll get into that some other time. I don't have time to get into what Gehenna is. He just says this. Here's the pattern, Jesus says. You're angry, and that anger turns into Raka. What is Raka? Raka is the equivalent of the most defamatory language in our society. It's the language that you're watching a show that has to be bleeped out. That's what Raka is. It's bleep language. Okay, that's what Raka means. And with that kind of language, here's what's being communicated is extreme contempt. You're angry and your anger has turned into an extreme contempt where you look at another person as worthless, insignificant, they don't matter. That's what Raka is. And that's the pattern that Jesus gives. See, it's not about the act of murder, though that's terrible. It's about your heart and your viewing of other people with contempt. That's what Jesus is drilling down to. Does this happen in our society? Absolutely. It happens all the time. Let me give you some examples of this. There was a recent article by the Atlantic Magazine, and I was intrigued by the, the headline. The, the headline of this article was this. Uh, it was called Anger Merchants. Anger Merchants. It was about daytime talk shows and news shows, cable network news shows that were fueling moral indignation, social media platforms fueling this, and it was rage at one group toward another. You ever watched a show like that? Where it's like trying to stir you up. It's trying to get you angry. And so you watch the news and it's getting you angry. You watch, listen to podcasts, it's getting you angry. You listen to these talk shows, it's getting you angry. And the purpose is to stir you up. Now what happens during those, during those anger merchant shows? Well, what they're trying to do is create a us versus them mentality, a contemptuous situation. Whereas you look at one group favorably, but you look at anybody in another group with contempt and disgust. And I wish that they didn't exist, and I would like to see them just drop dead. You ever done that? Through the podcast, you listen, you listen to the show, you listen to the news, and you just think, the most wicked, despicable people, I wish they were dead. Well, you have now moved from anger toward contempt. And that's what Jesus is saying, anger to contempt. Let me give you another example of this. Very simple illustration. I'll use my wife as the example. 
So at home, we're, we're maybe walking, maybe we're in the front yard, maybe it's on our porch, and my wife sees a little ladybug. And she loves ladybugs, and they're sweet, and they're cute, and she picks up the ladybug as gently as she possibly can, because she does not want to get this ladybug to get squashed by any of the kids or or pets or whatever, so she picks the ladybug up, and she carefully carries the ladybug over to a bush or a tree, and she puts it in there so tenderly and lovingly, because she has a beautiful view of these ladybugs because they're sweet and they're kind, okay? She views them as something that is precious, something that's valuable, something that has, has value, okay? Let me get, contrast that. When she sees a spider in the house, <laughs> she does not feel those warm, fuzzy emotions, Though it's also just another insect, that's all it is, it's two different insects, but she sees the spider in the house and she cries for her husband, who will come in and save the day, because I am man and I will conquer the spider, I will squish it with my feet or even just my bare hand, because that's the kind of man I am, is I will do that. And she looks at the spider with contempt And she looks at the ladybug with love and care, contempt, love and care. I despise this. I value this. They're just both insects. And that's what the media has tried to create. And that's what society creates is you look at one group with contempt, squash them, hate them. And you look at another group as, oh, I just love them. So precious. Do you know that all have been created in the image of God and all have value and all have worth and God wants us to look with value toward everyone. Jesus says it starts in the heart and everyone who is angry, it will turn into contempt and that contempt will turn into something deeper. So Jesus is saying, look, it's not just Do not murder, it's do not even have that anger, that hatred, that rage. Don't view them with contempt, instead love them the way that I love them. That's an amazing thing. It's an amazing concept to really start wrapping your brain around. Let me share one other story with you about this. Genesis chapter 4, and I'm not going to read the whole story, but let me just share a little bit about the story. Genesis chapter 4 is where the very first murder took place. And the very first murder was with Cain and Abel, Cain who murdered his brother Abel. And the story behind it was that Cain and Abel were both bringing an offering to God. Cain was a worker of the ground. He was a farmer. He brought just some of the crops that he had. Uh, Abel was a keeper of the flocks, and he brought the first ones that were born out of his flock. And God looked at those and said, okay, Cain, you just brought me some leftovers, but Abel, you brought me the very first. It was showing trust and incredible uh, dependence upon God. We don't have time to get into all of that. I just want to show you the story, what happens next behind this. Here's what it says. So it happened after some time that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to Adonai, while Abel, he also brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. Now Adonai looked favorably upon Abel and his offering, but Cain and his offering, he did not look favorably, but Cain became, notice the word, very angry. 
and his countenance fell. What is very angry? Very angry in the Hebrew means furious, seeing red, burning rage. You ever been there? He became furious, angry. Why? It's him who had messed it up. He didn't do what God had expected, but he was angry at everybody else because it's never my fault. It's always somebody else's fault. It's God's fault. He was angry. God gave him a warning. God said this. Then Adonai said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, it will lift. But if you do not do well... Sin is crouching at the doorway. Its desire is for you. Notice these words, but you must master it. Cain, if you do not master it, it will master you. Everything in your life that you do not master will become your master. If you don't get a hold and a handle of this, on this anger... It will wreck your life, and there will be extreme consequences that you will face. So he says, why are you angry? Sin is crouching at the door. You better get a hold of this. You better master it. Well, he didn't. What happened next? He rose up, and he killed his brother while they were in the field. He buried his brother. And God would come looking for this. It's the rest of the story. And you can go around and read this. The point of all of this is this. It's not about the act of murder. It's about the heart. It was about a wicked heart, an evil heart, the intent of the heart. It was having a lack of value toward his brother, and he did not master it. Where God said, I want you to master this. If you don't master this, it's going to master you, and it's going to wreck your life. Now, I think that's the message for all of us today. It's not about do not murder. It's about getting a hold of your emotions. It's about dealing with your anger. It's about not letting your anger become contempt. It's not looking down upon other people with contempt. It's looking at them with value, even if you disagree with them politically, even if you disagree with them morally, even if you disagree with them ethically, you still can't look at them with contempt. Instead, you, they are still image bearers of God. You can still love them, pray for them. Be kind to them, encourage them, help them, hopefully lead them where they need to go. But too often in our society, especially today, it is becoming more appropriate to deal with contempt than it is anything else. If you want to deal with your heart, if you want to have mastery over the anger that you have, I'm going to give you just four things about anger. And I'm going to do this quickly because we're about out of time. So let me try to wrap this up quickly to understand how does anger work in our lives anyway? God says, if you, why are you angry? You better get mastery over this to Cain. Jesus says, I tell you, if you're angry, it's a problem. Well, then let me, how do I know this? How do I know if I'm angry? Well, the Bible has four different Greek words that are used. Actually, five, but I've only got four up here today. Four Greek words that are used to describe what anger is and how anger works. Let me quickly go through those. I would encourage you just to take a screenshot when I get all four of these up. I have um, put them up here in different levels uh, just to help you understand the way that the process works. Here's what level one is. Level, and level one is not in the Bible. It's just the word that I came up for, came up with. Level one is this. It's the Greek word orge or orgizo. And it just means the natural emotion of anger. That's all it means. Everybody's been angry. You've been angry. 
Because you're angry does not mean that you've done something necessarily wrong. The natural emotion of anger is a warning sign to you that something that you really value has been uh, in some way impacted or attacked. You really value this, and it's really been impacted. Maybe it's you get angry because you're selfish, and that just means that you really value yourself way too much. That's a good way to look at it. Anger, the level one anger is just natural emotion of anger. Not a problem as long as I deal with it right there. How do I deal with it? Well, I resolve it. I confess it. I let it go. I ask God for his help. I forgive someone else. I ask them to forgive me. I talk it through and I deal with it until it moves on. Problem is most people don't know how to deal with it. In fact, most people don't know how to process it at all. In fact, most people in their childhoods have been taught how to stuff their anger and so they don't ever deal with the anger. If you don't deal with the anger, like Ephesians says, be angry yet do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. That means deal with it immediately. If you don't deal with it, that anger turns into what I would call level two. What is level two? Well, that is the Greek word paragasmos or paragizo, which means stuffed anger. If you don't deal with your anger, you will stuff it. You will seethe on that anger. You will push it down, and it will be just there churning around in your life. It's kind of like a, uh, something toxic that is just moving around in your life. It's just eating away at the inside of you. If you've ever seen a volcano, before it explodes and they, they dig under the surface, you can see the, the hot magma that is flowing around. It's bubbling, it's churning, it's eating away, and that's what anger does. We push it under the surface, and it eats away at the inside of us, because I never dealt with it. Well, that undealt with anger turns into level three. What is level three? It's the Greek word thumos, which is where we get our word thermal, and it just means explosive anger. So sometimes what happens is that you've stuffed it so long that you just start to explode. And uh, you know who you are, if that's the case, or the people around you know who you are, because you just explode. Explosive anger is just little explosions, little volcanoes erupting. And often it has nothing to do with the original anger. It's just I'm irritated and I just explode. And so it could be at your wife or your husband. It could be toward your kids. It can be toward your family members. It can be toward your friends. It can be when the Broncos lose a football game and you just blow up. You know, that's explosive anger. It has nothing to do with the original anger, but it's just little explosions. And it's a little release valve. It's like a pressure cooker. When it's releasing steam, it's releasing the pressure. That's what explosive anger is. You just release the pressure. Everybody else gets the pain, but you release the pressure. After you've released that pressure, you usually feel a little bit better. You're sorry for what you've done, so you maybe buy flowers and try to ask for forgiveness, or you try to get a gift and ask for forgiveness, and for a while, you're better, and you say that it'll never happen again, and you won't be angry again, and you won't blow up again. However, just because you release the pressure doesn't mean the anger is gone. You just start reloading and rebuilding. The pressure starts building again until I just blow up at something ridiculous and I spew lava all over everybody. And that's the cycle that happens. And then also in connection to that is level four, which is chileo. The word is, there's another Greek word, pikria, which is where we get our word poison. 
poison from, but it just means extreme bitterness. And that poison, that extreme bitterness, just starts to eat away at me. So I've been angry, and I've stuffed my anger, and I explode with the anger, and my anger starts to control me. And instead of having mastery over it, now it is master over me. And it can lead to other consequences in my life. So God says to us, do not murder. Okay, sounds very simple. You might check off the box and say, I've never done that. No problem. Jesus says, it's not just about murder, it's about your heart. Because it's all about your heart. And in your heart, you may not have, you, you, maybe physically, you haven't murdered somebody, but in your heart, you have wished they were dead. In your heart, you would like to see God just wipe them out. In your heart, you don't look at people with intrinsic value. They're, they're a nuisance. They're an inconvenience. It's getting in the way of what I want to accomplish in my life. I'm going to take care of this problem. That's how people look with contempt toward other people. So God says, do not murder, but it's more than that. It's deal with your heart. Because if you fix your heart, then you don't have to worry about the murder. God wants to heal your heart. He wants to fix your heart. He wants to transform your heart. But it's all going to start with dealing with the anger and the bitterness and the resentment that you're carrying in your heart. What God said to Cain is so appropriate to us today. When he said to Cain, sin is crouching at the doorway. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Are you willing to master it in your life with the help of God? Confess anger to him. Confess the problems to him in your heart and allow him to heal and to change you from the inside out so that it will be well with your soul. Not only do not murder, but fix the problem that stems from a heart that is hard toward him. Let's pray. Father, I pray today that we would understand this truth, that we would walk in this truth, Lord, and that we would let you change us from the inside out. It is all about the heart. It's not just the act of murder. It's where the murder is stemming from. All of these commands, Lord, it's not about the act itself. It's where these things are all taking root, where they're all growing out of. And that is a heart that is wrong, a heart that is hardened, a heart that is wicked, a heart, Lord, that is sick. And we need you as the great physician to heal our hearts. And so, Lord, on behalf of everyone, we confess our anger to you the anger that we have just stuffed down and we've been holding on to and has been just eating away at us from the inside out for so long. Help us to heal. Help us to master it so that it does not master us. Father, we thank you for being with us today and teaching us your truth. Help us now to walk in it, not as a checklist item that we can check off the box, but as a mirror held up to our faces that we can see ourselves the way that you see us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for desiring to heal our hearts. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for checking out that message from Journey Church. We pray that it inspired you to trust the Lord 
to treasure people and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to this ministry, be sure to head over to journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right hand corner. Your generous contributions allow us to continue making content like this week after week. So thank you for your generosity so that we can keep spreading the message of Jesus Christ all over the internet. Hey, God bless you guys, and thanks for listening to this message.